Hello and welcome to the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. This episode is devoted to discussing the new musical K-pop, which we loved and wanted to dissect and critique in depth. We discuss all elements of the show, including the one-on-one experiences. Enjoy. Let's do introductions and then turn it over to Deep. But first, Deep, who are you? Hi, I'm the associate editor of American Theatre Magazine. And Liz. I'm Liz. I'm fuck yeah, great plays. And I'm Lindsay. I'm going to edit this episode. Okay, Deep, kick us off. Tell us what we're talking about. After I saw K-pop, well, after Liz and I saw K-pop on two different nights, Liz texts me and she's and she's like, okay, tell me what you think about the show, because I wrote a New York Times article about it. Shameless plug! <laughs> a we great, will link to that. A great article on <laughs> thank it. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so we had a long text chain about it, and then we thought, oh, wow, we should talk about this on the podcast. And this is what happened. So it's called K-pop. It's a co-pro with Ars Nova, my, my youth theater company and Woodshed Collective. Woodshed Collective does a lot of immersive work. Mayi does Asian American work and Ars Nova is just the best place ever. Yeah. Yeah. Boundary breaking plays and musicals and they they did the world premiere of Natasha Pierre. So this K-pop is right up their wheelhouse. Uh, The book was written by Jason Kim who was a writer on Girls. Apparently he was on like one episode or two. Yeah. Yeah. And music and lyrics by Helen pa- Park and Max Vernon. And it's a tour of a fictional K-pop factory. So what they did was the creative team took the two-floor complex of Art New York, that new, like, theater complex on 10th Avenue that has, like, what, four theaters in it? Yeah. It's, like, a block away from Ars Nova. Yeah. It's great. And they turned it into an immersive experience where you tour the factory. You, as the audience member, are a focus group for how to get these K-pop musicians into the American market. And so you tour the factory and you meet a boy band called Fate, you meet a girl group called Special K, and you meet a solo artist played by Ashley Park called Mui, and they tell you about their struggles trying to be more palatable to American listeners and their struggles with identity and with aging in a very unforgiving genre of music. Because if you know anything about real life K-pop from Korea, it's like these... these Artists will train for up to 15 years before they even step foot onto a stage. And so it's kind of like the Hollywood studio system where you train from when you're very young. They give you your name, your persona. They micromanage your life and who you're dating and where you can go and what and who you're in a group with or if you're going or if you're going to be a solo artist what your name is going to be so it's very it's incredibly manufactured and i was reading an article about that talks about like the oldest k-pop stars and it taps out at 31 wow yeah so i don't know what k-pop stars do after they retire but that's a they just ride on their branding and, and appearances, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them are actors, too. Yeah, something... I mean, I don't have as much background in K-pop as you did all your research and, and stuff. Basically, but I didn't but listen to were, it before. Yeah, but there were... In this space, there are lots of advertisements, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's, they, are, they are a cross-genre, you know, they are, they are the social media star, the music star, so I wonder if it just 
the music tapers off and the do they move to film or TV? I don't know. But then again, K dramas, there are people that are yeah. also quite young oh. as well. So, K drama is huge as well. K drama is also huge. And some K pop stars are also K drama stars or they have reality shows. There's a lot of reality shows actually. Like when I was researching K pop, like there's so many articles, first person articles about, oh, I became a, how I became a K pop star. And it was really difficult. But. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you go through that many people, you're going to have a lot of people writing those type of articles. <laughs> yeah. And not saying the nicest things about it. Yeah. So what was interesting about the work was, well, one, it's, an, it's a, new mu- a brand new musical, and it's also an immersive musical, which in the genre of immersive theater, where you have like immersive dance theater and you have immersive haunted house type things, like I haven't seen an immersive musical aside from Here Lies Love. So th- th- this, was, this was really fun. But what was interesting is it used K-pop as a metaphor for Asian American identity, which was interesting considering that K-pop Pop it really hasn't infiltrated the American market yet. So I think, I mean, Liz and I will go into this, but it, it was like one of the themes we kind of struggled with in the show. But just overall big impressions, I had a lot of fun be, because, well, one, the music is really good. The music's fantastic. I need an album, honestly. I Really, I just need that gin and tonic song at the end with all the girls where they're singing about... The cocktails, I want that song uh, all the time. I want the studio version of K-Popsicle. Um, yes. Helen, <laughs> Helen Park, she put like some of the demos from the show, not what the actors are in the show, but just like early demos of the songs on her SoundCloud account. And so I put it onto my iPhone and I've been listening to it and it's been awesome. Oh, awesome. I'll have to look so at she has a demo version of K-Popsicle. It's so great. Oh, God, that's a good one. So I, I love the music and I love the performances. And it's like, well, I'm going back next week to see it for, for the second time because I saw it very early in previews and I think they're so tinkering with some things. So um, I, I really look forward to seeing the full, I mean, the frozen version of, the, of this show. Well, and Ashley Park has left the show yeah, she now has. to be in Mean Girls mm-hmm. on Broadway. So you'll be seeing replacement person for that role, which will be interesting. That'll be yeah. cool. Yeah. So I guess the first thing to get out of the way is who did you follow and what order did you see things? Because I feel like that had an influence on the way I felt about the show. Yeah, um, I saw the girl group first. And so the girl group section is, it basically goes into the, the machinations of how to make a K-pop star, going from, you know, like media coaching and and like dialect coaching and and the more you know the things occupy the headlines when it comes to like Korean beauty which is the plastic surgery and how do you make uh how do you make the perfect Korean face now how do you make the perfect American face it's all very it was all very dark (laughs) which then I so then when I went to the boy group after when they're trying to create just put their album together it seemed very light in comparison and then I saw Mui last, and that was also a very dark storyline about just aging out of the industry. And so, it, yeah, it, it was like an up-and-down experience for me. See, and I had almost the reverse of your... I started... I have what I've been calling probably the ideal K-pop experience in that I was paired with Epic, Jason Tam's character, the entire 
time. Mm-hmm. I kept ending up in like little spots with him, and it was very exciting because he's. I mean, he's handsome. He's a handsome guy. He so is. you got one-on-one experiences. Yeah. Oh wow. I got. I got actually. When you look at the list of musical numbers, there are two songs that are just one-on-one experiences. I had both of those. Oh my. What? Um, well, yeah. why did I not get that? I don't I know. Did you have the VIP ticket? No, I oh, didn't. Wow. I just ended up in that area. It was fantastic. So I feel like I. How, how does that happen? Since I'm going back, I do. I don't know. I was in front of Jason Tam, and then I had a, a gold wristband that said Epic. So then I saw the boy band group first. Mm-hmm. And then when they're all talking, when the when the band, the, the other guys minus Epic are trying to figure out what they're going to do, Epic was next to me. And he's like, what do you think of this? This is ridiculous. What are they doing? And I was like, it's kind of bad. And he was like, it is kind of bad. And so we had a whole conversation about it. Oh. Um, yeah. And I was just like, ah. um, And then I kept following him. And then I kept being like the last person out of the room. Not intentionally. Honestly, part of it is there was one of those guys that you always see in an immersive show that has to be front and center and will move other people out of the way so that they can be there, mm-hmm. which is annoying. And so I kept trying to adjust myself to not be directly behind this very tall, pushy man. So I kept being like in the back. And then I kept ending up with all these great experiences. So, okay. All that Good to said, know for next tip. time. Yeah. So I saw, so I saw the, the boy band Fate first. Then I saw Mui, mm-hmm. and then I saw the girl band. And I think I had, I think you and I had the same issue, which is that parts felt really light and parts felt very dark. Yeah. And that there wasn't a point where they came together. So by the time I got to the girl group part where they were fixing them up and giving them dance lessons, giving them plastic surgery, it felt almost too little too late, and it felt very predictable. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know you get someone's going to be famous. You have to get plastic surgery. You have to change your body. You have to change your hair. You have to do whatever. And then they raise these questions about why doesn't K-pop cross over? Why aren't Asians sexy? Which I was like, that is a very interesting question to be raising here. But by this point, it was the end of the show for me. And I saw that they asked the question to, to the audience. People had a couple of answers. They didn't explore it any further. And then we just went to the big finale. And I was like, wait, why aren't we talking about these issues that I think are really important to this show? I think, why doesn't K-pop cross over? What's preventing a leading Asian star is very interesting, especially getting it so late in the game where I've watched these personalities develop and how hard they're working and how much goes into it that it felt like, they didn't want to, I don't know if they didn't want to go that deep or they felt like they didn't have the capabilities to go that deep in the constraints that they've built for themselves. But I was having, it was fun. It was still an enjoyable mm-hmm. production, but I, 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 I kept waiting, knowing Ars Nova, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and it just never came. And I don't know if either no, of you What was your order, yeah. Lindsay? So my order was Mui, girl band, boy band. So oh, wow. You started off at like a high I know. We all yeah. had three different um, orders, which is good because we've seen it in, I guess, most configurations. Yeah. Let's pause on the audience engagement question. Okay, okay. So as part of the experience at one point, the uh, who was it that asked the question? Um, it was... 
and it was a consultant character. It was the consultant character who yeah. bringing us here for this purpose exactly. of trying to solve this dilemma of why mm-hmm. K-pop can't cross or hasn't yeah. crossed over to the United States. Oh, and, yeah. and, and it's, Jerry. It's, Jerry, yeah. And Jerry. It's, it's his job It's it's his job to make the singers marketable to America. Yeah, they, they, introdu- they introduced this whole project. The overarching is that they are studying crossover appeal, that we mm-hmm. are a focus group for this project process so what were the answers given in the room with you guys of why this hasn't happened racism Mm -hmm. yeah so the first one in my group was the accents that people have yeah i had i had that Hmm. and then second was racism this didn't happen in the room i was in but i had some other friends there the same night on a different line on a different order and somebody said that they were all short can you imagine? Yikes. You know how short Justin Bieber is? Come on now. I mean, that's just... <laughs> just oh hey, I'm just, I'm just going to speak for the room here. Short people do stuff. Yeah. Speaking from maximum short population, which is quite a few of us. It's yeah. a substantial number. Jeez. Yeah. I, w- I mean, when, when my friend told me that... That is so stupid. Oh, oh my God. I just can't... This is what happens when you, like, turn space over to the audience. People say the stupidest... <laughs> and how did everyone else react, including the actors? Apparently, the actors were like kind of stunned and just yeah, that's a, that's moved mm. on to get a subsequent answer. Yeah. But even when they pose those questions in the room and someone said, said like accents, no one went, nobody pushed them any further on that. And I was like, no, let's talk about this. If you're going to ask I mean, the We room, had a conversation in our group, actually. Oh, interesting. We didn't have very much no. room for conversation in we our group. We didn't either. It was just. Why, why do you think this? Okay, everyone answers, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't a discussion, but no, I was I, early. I don't want to suggest there was, like, broken down or anything, but it wasn't just, like, accents. Okay, moving on to the next thing. Like, some he asked what characters in popular culture um, have Asian accents, like, who defines that Yeah, we had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it was, what, Jackie Chan, Lucy Liu, and... Uh, the Constance mom from Wu? Fresh Off the Boat. The mom from Fresh Off the Boat, yeah. 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 And who's like the hottest? I mean, who's who's the Asian star that you can? The, I mean, the biggest Asian character. Yeah. In oh, your they didn't perception. Ask that too, yeah, they, because group. we had Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Was the one that came up in our, our yeah. group. Yeah. Interesting. I don't. I don't think we got asked that question. I'm sure they change it up. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, if you're gonna raise those questions, like push people on it, make people a little uncomfortable. I think that should be part of this. Well, I think that one question I have. it's actually sort of my answer to why I think the storytelling didn't necessarily get totally fleshed out is the immersive nature of this production. Same, Mm -hmm. same. Right. It's true. I mean, do we think this show lends itself to immersive storytelling or do we think it would be better in a more traditional setting where you could weave the storylines together more succinctly? I think it's. I think there's parts of it that lends itself well to immersive storytelling, and the, and and there are parts of it that don't. I think my my theory with immersive theater is like, you're in it for the spectacle and the experiential experience of it. You don't go into it for like deep dramaturgy. Sure. And mm-hmm. so when you do something like you know Randy Weiner's you know seeing you and you're trying to talk you're trying to talk about war in immersive space where there's also half naked men dancing around you're never gonna go you're never gonna go very deep into it it's always going to be very surface just because like the audience moves around so much that you cannot 
get that kind of engagement with anyone for an hour. Well, especially when you're telling the story in multiple orders. Exactly. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. kind of immersive storytelling is well, particularly I feel like challenging. Each, each story had its own loop. Everything was exactly. tied up on its own, so it didn't need to be. They tried to do a little bit of consistency with the guy from the from Fate who was in love with the girl. Oh, I didn't in see the girl that group. Part. Y'all didn't see that. No. Did that, you like, see that? That was extremely frustrating because it was one I was going to ask if, elements of the story that. It was like, okay, this scene is over. We're moving on to another location. And if you're laid out of the room or you happen to be standing on the side of the room where there's going to be some additional narrative, you would see it. Mm-hmm. But at no point did I have any comprehension of exactly what was going on. I, un- I think I understood that w- one member of the girl group and one member of the boy group were in some kind of relationship and they were struggling. But it was not clear to me what was going wrong or if that concluded, no, I am. Um, I, I saw it. I all. saw it in what I think is the correct order, which is that there was one of the boys from the group. What is who was the shy one? You know, the the one, the shy one from the boy group. Oh God, I can't remember. I didn't get a shy character. Yeah, I the, I didn't look at any of them as shy, but so I can't remember who I'm thinking of then. But apparently there was like a pregnancy subplot that I missed too. Oh, I didn't oh, see that, that at all. I wonder if that's what it was because he was, was writing like, a letter and it was something about how like she was the the girl in the girl group that he liked was married, I think, or one of them has like a a, a fabricated marriage and but they are actually in love with each other. Mm. And so I saw them write a letter in the fate room. And then later I saw it being delivered and destroyed in the girl group room. Which, of course, I saw it in the reverse order, right? I saw yeah. the letter yeah. delivered and then saw it written, which made no sense at all. Yeah. I mean, it felt like it was, it was an attempt to arch the rooms, but it wasn't a fleshed out storyline. And also, depending on the order that you see it in, it, it might not make that much yeah, sense. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but with the things, that, what I think works for the immersive setting is the music because I also think pop music is something that's very hard to replicate in a theater space because pop music in and of itself is very a very interactive, you know, experiential experience where you're not sitting and you, you may get some interactions with the, the, the singer at any point. And so that's why people go to the concert, because it just feels like the singer is singing to you. Whereas with, you know, proscenium theater and pop music, it's not, you can't create a concert in a proscenium space, which is why seeing Hedrick in, in the Angry Inch on Broadway was, it was great. But I feel like if I was standing and cheering, I would have had a better time overall mm. yeah, I really liked but, having this as an immersive piece yeah I, like, I don't think I would like it as much as a proscenium I feel totally yeah. differently huh. I think I would have enjoyed this piece much more if I had felt like the storytelling was more cohesive yeah. or and I didn't feel like sorry just one more point yeah I didn't feel like the immersive nature added to any story element of this show. It doesn't, but it adds um, to the musical element. I think of that's it. right. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. totally fair. The concluding scene, which is essentially a concert, I think you are totally right that the translation of that would be different if everybody were seated, yeah. you know, politely in rows. But I think as a whole that it would be more compelling to me told with a stronger narrative. I even wonder if, I mean, this is a my go-to, I'm sure, because we because we just mentioned it, 
Remember when they did Great Comet in the tent? So you were all in the same space, but it was all happening around you all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it had been like that, where we are in the room for the concert, for the sound check before the big show, and everything's just sort of happening around. If that would have helped. I liked being led around and I liked the smaller group and I think that's the other reason I expected more of a discussion with the audience because already mm-hmm. we're being broken into groups of like 10 and I like you the know, conceit of a factory because that's very yeah. true to life too yeah yeah but I'm wondering if like they could develop it's not so much like just throwing away the structure and starting anew but if they could just cut trim some fat and and develop the more compelling aspects of it. So trim away the, you know, the love story and trim away some of the, the conflict with the fate members and bring, and bring it all back to the central question of what is stopping America from accepting Asians as pop stars. Yeah. And I, I also think we haven't touched on it as much, but the Mui storyline was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And mm-hmm. being in a, custom-built dressing room, which tells you everything you need to know about her level of success and the way that she's held by the agency? Company? Record 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 label. Yeah. 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 And that and the the being aged out and you can't sing this song because no one wants to hear an old person sing this song. They want to hear, like, a 16-year-old girl sing this song. And... And being in that room, in that space with her in a very intimate way, I thought was beautiful. I really enjoyed that. I found it very heartbreaking, you know. And then be shoved back out into the machine was very jarring. I mean, maybe intentionally mm-hmm. so. I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if like... Not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if like you're cheering at the end for the manufacturedness. It's kind of like with Here Lies Love where you're you're kind of playing into the machine and you're kind of playing into the darkness. Yeah. Almost. Well, but then again, they also played at the end of we you need to accept us for who we are. This is my this was the thing yeah. that I texted you about yeah. that I was so confused. So like I said, I saw the the girl group last where they were doing all the makeover stuff and they're fighting against and they're like no we want you know you should just be who you are be who be yourself and then the next thing i saw was the concert where muya comes out in a blonde wig dressed in like a Katy perry costume singing in english and i was like wait what are we doing here and it, it felt it felt like they just undermined exactly what they were talking about and i'm not sure if that was intentional but it really stuck out to me yeah because the whole the whole conceit of using k-pop to talk about authenticity is a little bit flawed only because k-pop itself is so manufactured and everyone who participates in it has been like audience focused tested and focused to within like an inch of their lives and so the the question of like what is real is kind of a murky one and so when you're talking about, oh, we just need to be ourselves, then what would that look like? Would then we should just destroy this entire factory because like they you are the fact that they are K pop stars to begin with shows you like how much manufacturing has take has has occurred to get them to that point. And mm-hmm. now they're just manufacturing themselves further for an American market. So it's like layers upon layers of of, you know, creation and not very non like non-organic creation 
And so if it's, if you're talking about authenticity, like that's a very, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult topic to navigate in relation to this genre, which also in and of itself is it's taking American pop music and American and particularly a good amount of black, of, of hip hop and music that was created by the black community and appropriating it for a Korean market. And now they're trying to reappropriate it back to an American market. And so like K-pop in itself isn't actually authentically Korean to begin with. And so that that's interesting. Yeah. Unless the question is, in our global culture, are all are these questions just are these questions just murky and you know just like speaking as an Asian American, like do you can you just hold both both of these things in yourself inside of yourself simultaneously, and that can be beautiful too. Which I think it seems like that's what they were going for. I also wanted to talk about one of the. Well, it kind of goes along with what you're saying. One of the one-on-ones that I got to see. Oh, was yes. Please when tell they us were, all about that. Yeah. I wanted more one-on-ones. I never there's, get these in immersive theater. There's not many. There's just two, as far mm. as I understand. Though, of course, I missed this. There's a pregnancy subplot that I guess I missed. I didn't see that at all. Oh, no. Like, I saw her throwing up at one point, and then I talked to the actress the day after, and she's like, oh, yeah, my character's pregnant. I'm like, Really? Oh. oh, I think I heard some other people talking about that who thought it was an eating disorder. That's yeah, what I, I thought it was an it eating was. disorder too. Well, yeah. Apparently, she's pregnant. Oh, I didn't put it at my times piece because I didn't want to spoil the thing. But yeah, FYI. So the one, <laughs> oops, spoiler alert. Spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think this this whole episode probably just needs a big old spoiler warning. I know I'm saying that what 30 minutes into the episode, um, but probably needs a whole whole thing. So the the. One on one that I thought was so interesting was when the girl, one of the girls, a couple of the girls go to their singing lesson and they're in the room with the woman mm-hmm. who's teaching them you know, vocal control and, and all of that. So as everyone's leaving the room, I was at the back closest to the piano and the woman who's the instructor, what is her name? Uh, Yasmin, closes the door and me and two other people in there and she had a whole story about she auditioned and tried and tried to be part of this group at, to, to get into the, the K-pop factory and she was not good enough to be in a group but she was good enough to teach the women in the group which is kind of like she's like I have I know I have the raw talent and I'm better than them but I'm not worth the trouble to mold mm-hmm and all of that. So then she did the su- the same song that she had been teaching, or a song that she's been teaching the girls called Dizzy, which was just a really beautiful piano piece and, and talked about sort of being rejected from that machine. And it was really interesting. I really liked it. I'm trying to remember what the other one was. That was the one, like, really, I feel like really the strategy me. for getting one on one time with this show is just to stick in the back. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's right. Okay, I'll, do, I'll yeah. do that next week. Like, for me, I didn't get any of the vocal training scene. Not that oh, one. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't get I, one. Oh, or the prior. I know there was a scene because I saw some people get taken out of the room, and I didn't get to see that at all. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't see any of the vocal stuff either. I saw the plastic surgery and the media coaching stuff, which is affecting in of, of itself, but yeah. that would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the vocal coaching, was. I mean, it was intense. I'm, I'm no singer, but... Man, it was rough. Uh, so then to watch someone who is clearly talented, who who is better than them and yet not allowed to be a part because they're not 
Mm-hmm. It's like the Rockettes a little bit, you know? It's so unfortunate because the, there's there's these, like, juicy nuggets of conflict that's only that you can only really see if you were, like, the lucky two or three people who got to be in that space and the rest of us just gets the the, the very surface level treatment of the k-pop experience which is yeah. a fun experience experience but if you want dramaturgy like Lindsay does yeah. <laughs> well it's funny to hear you use the word conflict because i like i mentioned i was there with a few friends that night and when we were gathering for the final scene literally the question one of my friends said was what is the conflict in this piece mm-hmm. it was not apparent to him having been through three quarters of the show mm-hmm. what that central question was in this mm-hmm. production yeah i mean i feel like it wants to be identity I, but i is, wish yeah. it was jason kim says it is identity yeah it, and i just wish it had a little more meat to it and then the so then the other one-on-one that i get to be in uh was, i hate you was epic so much epic's dressing room Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. were you part of like the small group with him? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think I'm getting that one next. I'm very yeah. excited. And we saw that. I I guess that's when the <laughs> guys were. The, I think the guys were fighting in the other room, because I could hear little bits of that, but I don't know what was going on. But we were in the dressing room, and first it was hilarious because then you saw all the costume pieces from all the music videos that are playing around the, mm-hmm. the theater and a whole lot of Michael Jackson posters. <laughs> and it's, and it's him talking about the process of trying to learn, learn Korean when you didn't grow up there. You don't really have a connection to that culture and like trying to f- find your way back to the culture that you supposedly came from, mm-hmm. which was again, beautiful. And then he sang a song in English with a little bit of Korean in there that he's like, He's like, the guys don't like the song. This is kind of, it, it's his solo song, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it was great, too. So I love those little snippets of moments. And I think those really do play into talking about identity. Yeah. And finding identity within a culture, especially with, with his character, who's someone who is the outcast of a, of a group. Right. And I, I was in the room with Oracle and we talked a lot about like na- uh, nationalists. I mean, that's just an ugly word these days, but just, you know, ha- having pride and being Korean, not wanting to give to give that up and talking about his background as someone who's very proud of being Korean, whose you know, grandfather served in the Korean War. And so that was and so but then it was interesting because I think what they wanted us to do then was to be was to take allegiance with the boy band that we were with in yeah, the, the person uh, you'd been in the room the with the ongoing yeah. conflict but but I switched sides midway to J- to Jason Tam's epic side because the song was better yeah <laughs> and that was th- that was when he came in he came and stood behind me and he was like what do you think of this I was like I think it's pretty bad <laughs> And he goes, it is really bad. So I think they should have rewrote that song if they wanted us to have actual conflict. No, and I, I think it's supposed to sound old-fashioned. I think it's sure. supposed to sound very 80, very 90s, like, like yeah, ballad. Yeah, 90s boy band and sync ballad, yeah. But. Yeah. Do you think, and, well, half of the song, I mean, the, the songs were in Korean and, and English. Like, in K-pop music, they'll have... An entire, uh, entirely Korean song, and then every so often they'll have like an English phrase here and there, and so this 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 was the same conceit with 
the score, which was amazing once again, and I need that cast album. But do you think the fact that we don't speak Korean or understand Korean kind of diminished the emotion, the emotional potency of what they were singing? If we're if what we're talking about musical theater, it's, which is songs to advance story and character development, I didn't feel like it took away for me. I know there. Were, it was very clear there were parts I was not getting. Also in my group, there was a an older Korean couple um, mm-hmm. who seemed to be related to one of the boys in the boy band. They were wonderful. They were having an amazing time. And they, they were, must have been so proud. And they were laughing at so many things that I it was like, I don't, I don't know, but I guess there was a joke in Korean there. And so... So I was very aware there was something else going on that I wasn't getting, but I don't feel like it affected my my interpretation of the show at all. I don't feel like I need to know. I mean, this goes to theater, theater that's in English or not. I don't feel like I need to get every single thing that happens to get the gist of the show because if you're doing the show well, the theme is there throughout. And so if I miss a line, like you can't hang every you can't hang everything on a line that not everyone's going to get. You know. I'm not going to capture the lyrics of a song regardless of the language they're in and whether I speak it or not. So I don't <laughs> think singing in a different language has yeah. any impact, personally. Right. It's more like, I mean, this this was kind of like a juke, jukebox musical where the songs stand by themselves, but mm-hmm. they also, I was told, they also advance character development in, so, in some way. But I didn't catch that because, once again, I don't speak Korean. Well, I feel like... Aside I, from Mwe's part, I, I understood the conflict I was gonna there say, in I that feel like song. With, with Mwe, when you hear the song from an older established voice and then you hear the same song again with a young girl who's being molded to be a modern pop star just the vocal quality is different and that says a lot about the characters um, and I thought that was really great yeah. oh sure I feel like we talked a lot about like what we didn't like is that oh no, no? I have lots of things no? that I loved I th- okay I mean, I, just making sure I don't know I really en- I really enjoyed the show I just I wanted it to to make me a little more uncomfortable and it didn't but I still had a good time yeah yeah in conclusion I would just repeat how deep started this show is so fun mm-hmm. oh and my I God. am in favor of way more fun at the theater I would re- recommend this show without reservation to everyone I mean, it's so fun. It is so enjoyable. It is so well done. It is so well performed. The music is a blast. So locals, tourists, everyone, I think, would enjoy this show. Yeah, I mean, so I I went by myself, but I ran into Jack there. Mm. And we had the best time. We were, like, up at the foot of the stage. We were cheering. We were dancing. We were like, who's your favorite? We were, yeah. And then we lost each other because of all the, the paths and, and whatnot. And then we came back together at the end, and we were like, Wah! we were We were having a blast. I haven't screamed that much in the theater in a while. No, oh, and also because you don't, you never get the opportunity to scream for people at the like, theater. More screaming in theaters. More it's screaming just, in theater. More, you know, triple threat Asians. And, like, the first thing I tweeted after I saw the show was, like, everyone who says you can't find Asian performers who can sing, act, and dance, like, you, you are all lying because oh like I think NPR had a cat a story about how they cast the show and they found and like some of the performers had never even been in a musical before. Oh. And so like, but you can't tell because like there is talent there but everyone but casting directors in New York City are just so 
lazy and they have a preconception about like I guess what this musical talks about a preconception about what a star looks like and what a music uh, a musical star looks like and so I, I hope this runs forever which it probably won't because it's off Broadway but you know well, it will Brandy. be interesting to see if, like, other things that have been successful out of Ars Nova, this has a second life. I, mm-hmm. I, I hope can so. easily yeah. see that happening, and I hope it does. I am, I am so happy that this is where Ars Nova is putting its money. Like, mm-hmm. it's fantastic that they definitely have great Comet money coming in and that they're choosing to invest it in new, innovative artists and pieces like this. I mean, this is just phenomenal I feel like a lot of other people with a lot of other theater companies with this large influx of money would not do something like this and I appreciate so much that this is what they did yeah and and also taking a chance on people who I mean the writing team for this entire musical they're not known names Jason Kim was in girls but he's not Lena he's not Lena Dunham and so the fact that you're taking a chance on Giving this much money to an, an untested team just says a lot about like your, you know, your fate, your your production, capa- like your standards as a producer and like and how committed you are to equity and to giving people opportunity. Yeah, and I hope this raises the profile of my Yi too because they do some mm-hmm. awesome stuff and I feel like they don't get enough credit for the work that they're doing. Yeah, and so Randy Weiner, give it money. Yeah. Give it all the monies. See, we loved it. We yes, love we it. did love it. Woohoo! Cool. Uh, Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Max Smooth Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we would love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. Deep is at Deep Thought. And I am at Lindsay Barons. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. See you again soon. Theatrical Media.